know you and that you will know us. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us now uh, by your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we may be obedient. Amen. Can I give you a bit of advice? <laughs> That's exactly my reaction. Whenever you hear, can I give you a bit of advice, doesn't your heart drop and say, no, I'd rather not have a bit of advice, because usually it's, I'm going to be corrected uh, in one way or another. But I can remember um, being a, a young minister in the first few years when I had a, a mentor, a minister who was a mentor, and, uh, and I'd been preaching and doing all the bits and pieces for a few years, well, a few months probably, not a few years, and he came up to me and said, can I give you a bit of advice? So I braced myself, and he says, when you preach, you're very Radio 1 and Radio 2, which I thought was an interesting thing to say, and then he said, I think you should be more Radio 3 and Radio 4. So, well, I don't know what he was going to... Anyway, so I didn't really listen to Radio 3 or Radio 4 too much. But you know what he was sort of... I think he, I got an idea. Anyway, next sermon, next time I preached, I tried to make it Radio 3 and Radio 4, rather than Radio 1 and Radio 2. And I preached this, and afterwards he came up to me and he said, Oh, well done. He said, that had gravitas. I didn't even know what gravitas meant. I had to go and have a look at it. But obviously it meant it was much more Radio 3 and Radio 4, much more serious, much more, you know, right. I went into the, uh, the, the lounge afterwards for a coffee with the congregation. They all came up to me and made it very clear it was the worst sermon I'd ever preached, and it was very boring. <laughs> so I remember early on, it's hard, this advice thing, isn't it? It depends who you listen to, you know, do I, which way do I go with it all? Well, you've been looking at um, Proverbs over the last few uh, weeks, and again, it's not just advice, but it is advice. It's about showing us a, a wise way to live. Um, and in the Bible, uh, wisdom isn't just a sort of a, a professor in a university with a long white beard who writes books that nobody reads or anything like that. Wisdom in the Bible is much more down to earth what to do at the right time, the right thing to do and the right time. So in modern parlance, you could have a, a car mechanic could be very wise because he knows how to mend your car or a plumber knows what to do with your pipes when they're not working. It's a very much in the Bible, wisdom is down to earth, God giving gifts to us not just car mechanics and plumbers, but you know what I mean. It's down-to-earth stuff, not professors. Now, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 6, and I hope you've not done this yet. I did ask Phil, what had you done in Proverbs? And one of the sermons said, assorted. So I, I, it could have been any verses out the whole of Proverbs. So you may have done all of this. I'm sorry if you have. Uh, there you go. And I'll try and make it as Radio 3 and 4 as I can. I'm a bit more like capital FM, you know, really. So anyway, let's have a go at it anyway. What we see in Proverbs chapter 6, and I'm going to read you different bits as we go through, but it may be if you can have it open there. I think we see three bits of advice. Well, it's not so advice, it's pictures. And often we learn best about how not to do something. Do you know what I mean? My uh, mentor saying to me, should be Radio 3 and Radio 4, and then finding out the whole congregation found it boring, taught me more about preaching than probably you know, anything else. Sometimes finding how not to do it and getting a negative reaction is better than the, the positive one. And there's three pictures about how not to be wise here in Proverbs 6 and 1 to 19. The first bit, it's saying, if you want to be wise, don't have overconfidence in others, in other people, in other schemes and other things. In verse 1 of chapter 6, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbour, 
if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Now, what is this talking about? It's not saying that we shouldn't uh, sometimes help people out who are in debt. Sometimes we need to do that, but whoa, we need to be very, very careful in, in, in what do we do that. But it's a bit wider than that. It's saying that sometimes you will have friends, you will have colleagues, we'll have organizations and people who will come up to you and say, look, if you want a really good life, if you want to have a great security, if you want to have the best life you can have, then you, what you need to do is to be committed to this, committed to me. It could be invest in me. You know, the sort of people who always have the sort of get-rich-quick scheme. If you give me so much money and I'll invest it in this, everything will be fine. The sort of surefire winner sort of thing. I don't know if you've had people like that. But people, there's all sorts of people all around wanting you to commit your time, your energy and your life to them and it, everything will be fine. I'm a Sheffield Wednesday supporter for my sins, and uh, I've just bought my new season ticket for next year, partly because it was at the same price as this year, partly because uh, if I lose my seat, there's a waiting list, and I'll never get, and it's a really nice seat, really nice people around about me, and I don't want to be anywhere else, and you know, if Sheffield Wednesday ever scored a goal, I can see it really well, and all that sort of business. <laughs> so I have uh, invested in the season ticket for next season, what idiot would invest money in football? Because, you know, I went on Friday night, a home match, and we lost. And uh, we're probably not going to be in the Premiership next year, not even in the playoffs. So I bought my season ticket thinking, it could be a good value for the Premiership next year. And in the end, and in the end... Are you all right? Do you have got a problem? Have I pulled the plug out? I have pulled the plug out. I stood on the lead and pulled the plug out. A spiritual analogy. I'm sure there is. Let's not go there. All right. I'll, tell, I'll move over to the left, shall I? Shall I pull the other one out? What, what does that do? It didn't stop me talking, though. Yeah, carried on. Didn't it? Yeah. So, in terms of, I have invested my happiness for next year in buying a season ticket, which is probably very foolish. But actually, Lots of people rely, I said to my lad who I go with, I says, look, all this teaches you, Sheffield Wednesday, is do not put your trust in football. In fact, don't put your trust in anything for happiness. I know it's obvious, but actually, strangely enough, we do it all the time. And you will find people constantly saying, if you do this, if you do that, if you spend more time, put a bit of money away for this or that, your life will be fine. Before we know it, we can find ourselves getting committed into things that really aren't going to bring happiness. What does Proverbs say? Do this, if you do this, free yourself in verse uh, three. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. And it's just a little word to us, remind us again. Word to the wise. Don't Believe the rubbish that you hear all around you, that you need to do this, you need to do the other, if you're going to have a happy and successful life. What did uh, Jesus uh, say? He said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, they didn't have banks in those days. 
which may or may not have been a good thing, depending on what you think about banks. But when you had your valuables, your treasures in Jesus' day, inside your house, you used to build a room inside the house, which had no windows, a sort of storeroom. You dug into the ground and stuck it all into the ground. Not a great way of keeping things safe, but it was the best you could do. But what Jesus is saying, if you're relying on somebody not going and nicking all your valuables, then you're going to live your life in a very unhappy way. Store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or God and possessions and money. We know these verses really, really well. But in our sort of society, you will hear all the time the message, you better invest in that. You better put money aside to that. You better go to the gym and get healthy. You better eat these things. Otherwise, your life, you ought to do this or that or the other, or you will not have a happy life. Some of it might be good advice, but in the end, it will trap you into another philosophy, into another faith, into another way of being committed when all we should be doing is what? Jesus said to the rich young ruler who came up to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to the rich young ruler, well, keep the commandments. I've already done all of those, he says. And then Jesus says, go and give all your money away to the poor and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sad because he wasn't prepared. Are we prepared as Christians to simply trust the Lord Jesus for our future security, happiness, for our eternal life. Don't listen when all those other people come saying, trust us, invest in us. Don't be overconfident in, have overconfidence in others. What about overconfidence in, it'll all be all right? I don't know how else to put this one. At school, you know, I'm a chaplain at school, it's, it's very clear that you can put boys and girls into two camps. The, the girls basically generally work hard i mean generally they do some some of them work far too hard but they work hard some of the girls i have to say the girls i deal with most uh, are the girls who think i'm not going to do anything whatsoever all right i am not i am going to not do anything and i'm be completely and utterly rebellious far worse than the boys the boys are the big lump in the middle and they're the sort of boys generally generally boys do what we call traveling hopefully and that is It'll be all right. You know, I don't need to revise anything. I don't really need to go to those extra lessons because, well, it'll be all right. And they do. They have, and it's a great. They have a great sense of peace. They're in a pool of peace. You know, until the exam, of course. But you know, that sort of. Oh, it'll be all right. It's a sort of typical male teenager sort of thing. And we can often get into that sort of way. What does Proverbs say? Well, look at verse six of, cha- of Proverbs chapter six. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. And then it goes on about it stores, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. You know, it's funny how we take creatures and give them human attributes. So if I said elephant, you'd say, well, memory, good memory. If I said snake, you'd say sneaky. If I said bee, you'd say busy. If I said lion, you'd say majestic, yes. If I said pig, well, that's not going there, but not very nice anyway. If I said dove, you'd say peaceful. 
If I said bat, you'd say scary. If I said owl, the nickname of Sheffield Wednesday, of course, you'd say wise. It's a completely wrong thing for Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. If I said to you giraffe, I've no idea about giraffe. Why do you have weird? Zebra, weird. Anyway, what about ant? We'd always say hardworking. Ants are always hardworking. I remember I was very lucky as a, as a teen, young teenager. I went to uh, Nigeria, to northern Nigeria, into the bush. And I remember coming across mangoes for the first time ever. Now you can get mangoes everywhere. But this was years and years ago. I had a mango pie. And they brought this pie out of the cupboard in northern Nigeria. And I noticed as they brought it out, a whole load of ants were already eating the pie in the cupboard. And as they, as they brought it out, the ants then just walked across the floor. It was unbelievable. It's like something out of, you know, one of a cartoon. And they put the, the pie on the table and cut me a slice and I got it in my bowl. And I was really looking forward to this mango. And I started eating it. And then the ants all came up the edge of the table into my bowl and were eating my... And I'm trying to flick them off at the same time whilst I'm trying to eat the mango pie. They were eating it as fast as I was eating it. It's unbelievable. I'd never seen them. These are not little ants. These are ants who are really... And the, the work that they were putting in to eating my pie. And, of course, that's the image that we have of ants. They are hardworking. They carry over 50 times their body weight, which would mean I could lift up an elephant, I think, probably, or 50 times my weight or something like that. But in this passage, we come across another creature, the slug. All right? Why did God create slugs? Slugs and wasps, I have no idea whatsoever. Someone can tell me afterwards. Well, it's not exactly a slug here. It's a sluggard. I don't know if I... Have you, oh, you haven't got a translator, but... Uh, have you got... Oh, you have got sluggard there. Sluggard. How many people ever use the word sluggard? It's not a word we use very often, is it? But it makes me think of slugs. Slimy, slow, and they just sort of... Anyway, there you go. Do nothing but eat, as far as I can find out. What does it say? Go to the ants, you sluggard. And in verse 9, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? It's a great phrase. The lazy person. And it's saying we should be more like the ant, not like the sluggard who just thinks, Oh, it'll be all right. In uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13, we hear more about the sluggard. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. What's that all about? In other words, I can't go to work today, I'm sorry, because I've heard there's a lion in the street. Okay? And now this is a little bit like my dad worries about snow. Always has done for years and years and years. And so he would hear on the weather forecast that there was snow coming. The fact that it was in northern Scotland, on the hills in northern Scotland, there are many different oh, I can't get the car out tomorrow. I won't be able to go anywhere. And it's a bit like this. The lazy person says, I can't go anywhere because I've heard there's a lion about. I'll have to just stay at home. You know, weak excuses for not going to work. Or, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Isn't that a lovely image? The most exercise a sluggard gets is from turning to the left-hand side to the right-hand side. And maybe we'll stop in the, on the back for a few moments. And that's it. That's your most exercise, like a door turning on its hinges. Or a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it to his mouth. Now, these are just male teenagers all over, I have to say. This is absolutely teenage life here. You know, the way that uh, my lad, when he has his mega lie-in on a Saturday, 
He's starving when he gets up. And I say, well, why don't you get up and get something to eat? I was too tired. You know, I can't be bothered to get up. Oh, that's, this is why every, teenagers always leave the lights on right around the building, even when they've gone out. Television's on. Everything is left on because it's far too much effort to go and turn it off. Even when it's a TV remote, I can't find the remote. I don't know where it is. You usually sat on it and <laughs> pressing the little red button. You got the idea of the sluggard. It's a wonderful idea. It'll be all right. Unfortunately, it won't be all right. Look at verse 10 of Proverbs 6. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. It's not always going to be all right. There is a role for work. Now, um, hopefully all of us here know that we're saved by grace, by the grace of God. We cannot earn our salvation. Isn't it fantastic that? But we're not meant to then say, oh, it's all to do with grace. Jesus has saved me for eternal life, so I might as well just lie back and just let it happen. Certainly the Bible teaches that very in Thessalonians about getting on and working and doing and actually being active. We will have, in Hebrews, it talks about, yes, we have a Sabbath day rest once a week, and we will have a Sabbath at the end of time that we're in his rest. But up to that day, today is the day for getting going. This is the day when we're meant to be following the Lord Jesus. We've got work to do. In Mark chapter 3, it says, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. I was thinking about this. They're so busy, they haven't got time to eat. And then I suddenly thought, the whole of Jesus' ministry took three years. Can you believe that when you think about it? I know it's because I'm getting old. I think three years is such a short time. When you're younger, you think three years is a long time. But when you're older, you think three years is a nothing. All that Jesus did. It's a wonder he had any time to do anything apart from minister. He must have worked his socks off. I don't think they wore socks, did they? Because they had sandals. But you know what I mean. Constant work. So it says he didn't have time to eat. And it says in Mark 3, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said he's out of his mind. You can see what they were doing. They were worried about his health. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around Jesus. And they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, his followers, if he's like, his new family. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Grace saves us so that we can be adopted into God's family. But then we're to do the will of the one who saved us. There is a time for action. We don't, we're not active to save ourselves. You'll never do that. But we're active because we've been saved. We need to get on. It just won't be all right. It's a matter that Jesus has called us to follow him and called us to be in his family. So let's not be overconfident in, oh, it'll be all right. Let's also not be overconfident, we're finishing on this, on in ourselves. Look at verse 12. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, 
and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. What on earth is this about? Now, if you work in a school, you know what this is about. This is the wind-up merchant. This is the stirrer. This is the person who is so cocksure and confident in himself and arrogant and manipulative that what he never gets into trouble. I'm saying he, it could be she. Uh, generally, it's he. He's never in trouble because what he does is he always knows which buttons to press for everybody else. He knows. He just says a little wink. You know, a little something. I have kids who say to me, I can't go in that class because he'll look at me or he'll say something. I say, well, what's the worry? He says, they will. They'll just look at me. They'll give me the eye. And they know how to do it. They know how to push people's buttons. And when it ends up and everyone gets all fed up and angry with each other, they slink off smiling. Can you see it? It's all there. Winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers. I'd hate to think what he's motioning with his fingers. He's doing something, winding everybody up. Because this person, again, if you look through into verse 16 or verse 17, talks about this person having haughty eyes, someone who's arrogant, someone who's proud, someone who is deceitful and makes conflict. Now, I'm sure that's not you. But it is somebody who is manipulative, someone who thinks that they can control their, everybody around them and control their lives. And the Proverbs is very much against that arrogance. And actually, it's, sometimes it's, we're encouraged to be a self-made person. We're encouraged to have confidence in ourselves, that we can do it. We can make our life. We can be secure in ourselves. It's not what Jesus said, is it? Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be like a child. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be like a child, just relying on your heavenly father. If you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to be a servant. You need to be humble. So I think we have three pictures here that Proverbs gives us. The person who's overconfident in always rushing after everybody else's great ideas about what would be a great life. And they're always investing their time and energy in the next new fad or interest. Don't be like that. Don't be the sort of person who's overconfident who just says, oh, I'll be all right. I don't need to do anything. It'll all be all right. Don't be the sort of person who's confident in themselves because that's not wise either. How should we be? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things that everyone else offers will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. We know it so well, but at this time, of traditional time of Lent, let's just think about that tradition that we think about at Lent of Jesus' temptations. What were those temptations? Jesus was tempted to have confidence in his own powers. Turn these stones into bread but he wouldn't do it. Man shall live, not live by bread alone, but by the mouth, the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Jesus was tempted, if you like, to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Do you remember that one? As if it, it'll be all right. If I jump off, the angels will catch me. It'll be fine. But Jesus wouldn't go for that temptation. What was the final temptation? When he was shown all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus was tempted to put his trust in something, another power. In this case, the satanic power. Worship the devil and you can have all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus would not go for any of those tempta temptations. He was too wise. 
And what happens at the end of the temptations? There's a lovely little bit. What happened? It says the angels ministered to Jesus. And isn't that the attitude of a wise person, a wise Christian? Don't be tempted by all these other options, including yourself, including just a sort of a, a false optimism. It'll be all right. All these other offers that are in our world at this moment. Just simply trust in the Lord Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and all these will be added to you and the angels will minister to our needs. Let's just step our heads for prayer. <coughs> Lord Jesus, we know that as people who have been saved by you, we are to be one of your followers. Lord, help us to trust you, to trust you in the small things and the big things. And as we've been hearing earlier this evening, to trust you each day, to, to be closer to you each day in the small things and the ordinary and everyday things. Lord, to, to be aware of you, to be aware of your calling, not to listen to other voices, internal voices or external voices, but to be wise and trust you, to work hard, but to work hard doing your work. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.